Well, you can also pull out your outlines here. They look like this. Mine is filled out already. Yours is probably not. And find your way in the Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We are in a series in the book of Matthew. And in that series, we started embarking on a journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7, a few weeks back. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is that Jesus is restoring faith to what it was originally intended to look like. You might see behind me, my wife thought this was a crime scene up here. Not a crime scene going on up here. We are restoring a work of art on the stage as we walk through this series. As we think of the theme of restoration, Jesus is restoring our view of faith. And today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, and I will read verses 17 through 20. And Jesus says to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together as we dive in this morning. Father, this morning we gather around your word. What James in the New Testament calls the perfect law that gives freedom. And we pray that you would help us to learn how we might abide by it. How we would walk in the footsteps of Jesus as he restores faith and says, I'm not looking to abolish the Bible. I, I want to fulfill this thing and I want my people to practice and teach the words of scripture for the rest of time until I come back and set up my kingdom for good. And we pray that we would be a people who do that. That we would practice your word and that we would teach your word to others, that we would train up our children in those ways, that we would disciple the folks around us and in our lives, that we would have mentoring in the word of God, that we would find life as we cling to Jesus and the revelation about the world he gives us from Genesis to the book of Revelation. We pray that you would teach us today about the role of scripture in our lives and in our culture, that we would be people who would fulfill the law in the way that we live, and that we would find our righteousness in Jesus your son. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Are you one of those people who takes the Bible literally? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? Do you go to one of those churches that says the Bible is literal and all that? I feel like whenever that question comes at me, it's important to think about how I respond. A lot of times, you know, you want to say, yeah, yeah, that's me. But then you get down this rabbit hole of questioning that kind of finds you off in the weeds somewhere. Are you, everything in the Bible? Yeah, everything in the Bible. So you believe all this? Yeah, all of this, right? You start getting like, yeah, I believe the Bible. I'm one of those weird people. Yeah, that's me. Okay, well, so do you like not eat shellfish? Like, well, no, I, I do eat shellfish. It's kind of gross, but a not moral thing, right? So, well, do you wear clothes that are made from multiple types of linens? You're like, well, yeah, that's, I, I do do that. Like, well, when your children disobey you, do you murder them? Like, well, I uh, think about it, but I, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't do that. They're like, well, I thought you'd take the Bible literally. You're like, 
well, I, I, I do, but, you know, what, what are you supposed to say to that? You know, like, well, that's the Old Testament, right? And you know when you start going down this line of reasoning, you're now you're not, you're making stuff up, but just trying to get your way out of it. Well, that's the Old Testament, right? And, and those, that's for Jewish people, and, and I'm a Christian person, and we believe in the New Testament. Like, so the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament? Like, um, I don't, yes, right? You're like, no, no, that's not true. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, we, well, why do you have the Old Testament in your Bible then? Uh, well, I read it. Well, I thought you didn't take it. Li- I do take it literally. Well, about the shellfish. Now, well, let's not talk about the shellfish. Let's, how are we talking? Why are we talking about fish, right? And, and we try to have this conversation, and, and we end up just saying something crazy like, well, I mean, Jesus came, and he said it doesn't matter what the Old Testament says anymore. You know? We just live in the New Testament, and, and Jesus kind of did away with all that. And, and, and we know what we're saying is probably not true, but now we're just trying to get out of that conversation as quickly as possible. You know, Jesus said the opposite of that. He says, it's right there on the outline, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. It says, when you look at the Old Testament, I'm not trying to take away from that. I'm not trying to move you away from that. I'm not trying to say that doesn't matter anymore. Don't think that I'm standing here preaching this Sermon on the Mount saying, here is a new teaching that discards the old teaching. Don't think that. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Sometimes we look at that Old Testament and say, okay, well, maybe the Old Testament is like a bunch of checkboxes. You know, like, here's all the stuff to do and not do, and, and no one could ever check all the boxes. But, but Jesus came, and instead of running away from the Old Testament, he checked every single box, and he like, ding, he fulfilled the Old Testament. Now we don't have to anymore. But that's not what he says either. He says, don't think I've come to ab- not to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus says, you're always going to have this Old Testament, and I'm going to fulfill it, but I want you to fulfill it too. Like, well, but not the shellfish stuff, right? (laughs) I don't have to, like, stone adulterers, right? That's kind of mean, you know? And, And Jesus says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus begins to restore the faith to where God intended it to be, he tells his people that he is creating a kingdom of subjects, that's us, of brothers and sisters, of children of God, who as they walk in this world until Jesus comes back, they will live by every rule that exists in the Bible. They will live by the fullness of the Old and the New Testament. These will be a people who don't discard the Old and live in the New, but they live in fulfillment of both Old and New Testaments. Followers of Jesus will live by all of Scripture, Jesus says. And we say like, amen, but we're thinking about shrimp while we say that. (laughs) Amen, but not the bacon cheeseburgers, right? Amen, but some of that Old Testament stuff is crazy, right? Am I alone here? Amen. We live by all of Scripture. There's a guy who wrote a book a couple years ago called A Year of Living Biblically. You seen this book? He decided, you know what, I'm just going to live by everything the Bible says. And he wasn't a religious guy. In his words, he said, I'm as Jewish as the Olive Garden is Italian. That's his religious affiliation. <laughs> so you can kind of pass it off because that's the background there, but grandma's going to say, no, nah, this isn't the real deal, right? That was his life. And he said, I- I'm going to live by all of the rules in the Bible, the whole Bible. And so he grabbed a stack of Bibles, read them all, and just wrote down every rule that exists. He found 700. 
And he said, I'm, for the rest of this year, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go after it. And so he let his beard grow long, and he didn't cut the corners of it. He couldn't figure out where the corner of your beard was, so he just, I'm just going to let it all grow. He, he put on clothes that the Bible mentions, and he wore the like belt thing and the tunics and all that, and he lived by the way the Bible said to live. He carried a, rocks in his pocket because he said, if I ever meet an adulterer, I need to stone him or her. He said, actually, in Central Park, he ran into a guy and said, what are you doing? The guy, he said, I'm living out the Bible, so I'm living the Bible literally. And the guy said, so are you going to stone an adulterer? He's like, I guess so. And the guy said, well, I'm an adulterer. And so he, like, takes the rocks out of his pocket. <laughs> and he said the guy, like, grabbed his hand, pulled the rocks out, and chucked them at him. So he got stoned by an adulterer in attempting to stone an adulterer. And so he walked through his ear and he tried to live out everything that the Bible commands to see what it would feel like and be like to do every single thing to take the Bible literally. He said, I'm not a religious guy, but the reason that I'm doing this is I am sick and tired of hearing religious people say they take the Bible literally where no one does. I think the reason that we need to talk about this is because we do live in a culture that when I say or when you say, I take the Bible literally, people say, are you sure about that? They say, aren't you picking and choosing? Like, no, I believe all of it. Like, really? What about the shellfish? What about the stonings? What about the murdering of your kids? What about all that? And like, well, I mean, I got my, I don't, I just, I take it literally. I take it literally, right? And Jesus says we're supposed to. And yet, how do we wrestle with all of these commands in Scripture and, and have a good conversation with somebody who says, you know what, I kind of feel like you're a hypocrite because <laughs> you're telling me you take the Bible literally, but it seems like you're pretty big on a bunch of these commands, but some of them you totally disregard and have no reason for it. So we've got to figure out the reason for it, or we've got to start doing it. Grow your beards out, gentlemen. Grow your beards out. The problem is that everything hinges on interpretation. You could write that down, interpretation. Jesus kind of got into the same issues when he worked with the religious people of his day. He, he was a man who took the Bible literally. He said, I fulfill the law. Nothing, nothing is not going to be fulfilled by me, right? If we think about Jesus, we think that is someone who lived out the Old Testament perfectly. And yet Jesus got himself in conflicts with religious people and teachers and experts in the law because they saw the way he was living and they said, wait, that seems not biblical. And the people of those days thought that on the Sabbath you don't work at all. Like you just kind of sit in your house and do nothing. And Jesus would kind of go on walks on the Sabbath. He would train up his disciples on the Sabbath. He'd eat snacks that he picked off of wheat fields in the Sabbath. He would go and do ministry on the Sabbath. He would heal people on the Sabbath. And the religious people said, whoa, 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 whoa. You say you fulfill the law, you're breaking it all over the place. And Jesus says, you interpreted that wrong. That's not what I meant when I wrote that in the Old Testament, Jesus says. Man was made for the Sabbath, or Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. This is a day that God has made so that you might find rest and freedom in your life. Interpret it correctly. Hard thing is it's hard to figure out how to interpret the Bible correctly. People say, oh, well, there's like the moral law of the Old Testament, and then there's like the cultural social law stuff, and there's the cleanliness code, and there's the sacrificial law, and, and Jesus, he fulfilled, uh, he fulfilled it all, but... Somehow we don't have to do a lot of the stuff, but we still have to be moral people. And, and, and that's hard because, A, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, you try to think about it, you think, what does that even mean? And try to explain that to someone, and they're just like, oh, okay. Uh, second thing that's hard about that is it's hard to know which one of the laws is which. 
Now, I read a book a couple of weeks ago on human sexuality and the Bible and ethics, and the person was saying, when I look at the Old Testament, I categorize sexuality as cleanliness laws. That when you read about sexuality in the book of Leviticus, you see that it's in the same category as things like hand washing and staying away when you have infectious diseases. And we as Christians believe that the cleanliness code doesn't apply anymore. And so do whatever you want with your sexuality. It doesn't apply anymore. It's a difference of interpretation. So if we're going to be able to have conversations with folks, and if we're going to be able to look into the Old and to the New Testament and read it and learn from it and apply our lives to it, and if we're going to live in fulfillment of Scripture, we need to know how to interpret Scripture. Here are five different lenses that you can look through to interpret Scripture in a way that's, that's helpful for you. And these aren't in your notes. You can write these down. These aren't in the Scripture here. I kind of made these up, but I think they're helpful. If you don't like them, you don't have to do them, but you can if you want. Number one, look at Scripture through the lens of Jesus. If Jesus was the one who fulfilled the Old Testament, look at him. When you're trying to figure out what Sabbath is supposed to look like, look at him. When you're trying to figure out if it's okay to eat shellfish, listen to him. He makes all things clean. We watch the way that Jesus lives and we say, oh, that's what the Old Testament was getting at. And we listen as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount in the next few weeks where Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and says, let, let me show you how to get to the heart of this. Listen to him. How does Jesus interpret the Old Testament? Look at the words through his lens. Number two, look at the scriptures through the lens of the gospel. The Apostle Paul did this a lot. When he talks about New Testament ethics, he always brings it back to the gospel of Jesus. Sees a church where people are fighting and gossiping and backbiting. And he says, listen, 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 listen. Jesus died for our sins. He rose to new life to create one community of brothers and sisters. You shouldn't be acting like this. You're a family. When he sees that some people are excluded and some people are outcasts and some people are rich and some people are poor and there's some kind of lines of demarcation growing in the church, Paul says, listen, remember the gospel. We were all poor and we were all made rich in Christ. Now we share everything we have because we're one in the gospel. We use the gospel to look at all of scripture to say, okay, what does this mean for us as believers? Because number three, a lens to look at is the lens of the new covenant. Jesus, gospel, new covenant. One of the biggest traps that we get into when we talk to people about our faith is that people don't understand that there's a relationship God had with Israel in the Old Testament, and there's a relationship God has with his church in the New Testament, and they're different covenants. We remember the communion meal where Jesus takes the bread and he, and he breaks it, and he takes the wine and he hands it out and he says, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. That as Christians, we've entered into a new covenant with the Lord. And so when we read the old covenant, we can read it through the eyes, through the lens of the new covenant. And when we read about the sacrificial system, we remember that in the new covenant, Jesus is our sacrifice. So that's why we don't sacrifice bulls. That's why we don't sacrifice goats. That's why we don't have priests that slit throats of our best animals, right? Not just because it's weird, not just because it's scary, not just because you don't have a goat, but because Jesus was the sacrifice. And so we look at the Old Testament through the eyes of the new covenant. When we think about Jesus and the relationship he has with his people, we go back to the old covenant. We say, okay, how can I read this through the lens of my relationship with God, which is different? God in this covenant with us doesn't have dietary restrictions in the new covenant. There are no cleanliness codes in the new covenant. There's still morality. There's still sexual immorality. And that's reiterated in the new covenant. But when we with new covenant eyes go back to the old covenant, we can start to make sense of some things. 
Number four, we look at these things through the lens of all of Scripture. And that's where this new covenant, old covenant thing has a little bit more teeth in it. Because when we read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and we read the New Testament, we see that the Bible addresses specifically in the New Testament some things in the Old Testament. Sometimes the Bible takes laws from the Old Testament and reaffirms them for God's people. It says, listen, like it said in the Old Covenant, it's still true. Be people who flee from sexual immorality. Be people who cling to one another. Be people who seek marriage relationship for sexual union. All those things is reiterated in the New Covenant. And so when we go back, we don't just discard it. We see what's written about it in the New Testament. Sometimes scriptures that are hard to understand, we can use other scriptures to come at them and say, okay, what is going on here? How do I understand this whole dietary restriction stuff? And you read throughout all of scripture and see the progression of that and where God has brought us as his people where he says, I haven't made anything unclean. It's about what comes out of you that's unclean, not what goes into you that's unclean. We use scripture to interpret scripture. And finally, a lens we can use to interpret the scriptures accurately is the spirit of law. That's what we see Jesus doing with Sabbath. That's what we see Jesus doing with murder and adultery in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, okay, there was a rule, but then there was a heart behind it. So if you've never murdered anybody, but you're just a jerk, you're, that's still a sin. <laughs> if you've never committed adultery, but you're like looking at porn all the time, you're still sinning, right? That's, that's the heart of the law there. It's not just about check these boxes and you'll be good, but what's the heart, what's the spirit of the command that's coming out? We live by the spirit of the law. Now, the hard thing in all that is it's really easy to take that spirit of the law and then just do whatever we want. Be like, well, I mean, you can interpret the Bible any way you want, and that's true. But if we use these specific lenses, we can approach Scripture with open hearts and say, God, I want to live the way that you've called me to live. I want to have your word revealed to me in such a way that will bring freedom and holiness to me. I want to look at these texts and I want to see how you've enabled me to have a life through them. There's an author named Charles Wright who said that when we look at the Old Testament texts, the, the most helpful thing is not to say, okay, is this command in a category that still applies or not? Do I still have to care about shellfish? Can I, where am I... I don't know, lycra, nylon, gym suit or whatever. I don't know. Can, can I do that? Is it still a category that applies to this? Don't look at it that way. Look at it this way. God created Israel to be a people that live holy lives to demonstrate the glory of God to all nations. So when you read the Old Testament or when you read the New Testament and there's a command that you feel like, okay, isn't necessarily for us, like lobster or whatever, and you read that command, don't just say, oh, skip, not for me, but say, okay, why did God want his people to eat these specific foods in the Old Testament? Why did God have his people abstain from all work on the Sabbath in the Old Covenant? Why was God so concerned about purity and cleanliness in the Old Testament? Why did the sacrificial system exist in the Old Testament? And as you dive into that, you start to see that God is an amazingly holy God. And he wants his people to live in a relationship with him where they understand the gravity of who he is. If you raised a bunch of sheep and you had one that was like beautiful and you had to go take it to the temple and watch a priest slit its throat in front of you, that would be heavy stuff. Like you would look at that and be like, whoa, right? That's a sacrifice. And sometimes when we take offering at church, we just kind of drop our money in the thing as it goes by and we forget that this is a sacrifice. But if we were slitting the throat of your animal, right? Or we're slashing the cars on your 
tires on your car or something, right? You think, this church is weird. They're making me sacrifice. And, and the Old Testament covenant, what God was doing with people was showing them, letting them feel the sacrifice of saying, God, you are amazing and I'm just an earthling here and yet you love me and you've provided a way for me to enter into relationship with you and I don't get it, but you're, you're great and, and I want to live for your glory. There's a lot of tangible heaviness in that. And as we read the Old Testament, we think about those things, we are reminded that God is still that holy. We're reminded that God still wants us to be a light to the nations. We're reminded that God still wants us to live in such a way that we look differently than the people in this world because we cling to him for life. We don't seek after things of this world for life. And as we read the Old Covenant and we read the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings, all of those things, some of those things we apply directly to our lives. Some of those things we take and we distill them and we find out, God, what do you have for me through this? And then we live that out and find freedom in that. And as we do that, as we interpret the Bible the way God intended for us to interpret it, we can say that we take the Bible literally. And maybe that won't win an argument with somebody because it's still kind of confusing, right? But really, you can find freedom in knowing that you're sitting down with the text and, and you're not picking and choosing. If somebody comes to you at work and says, hey, I want to talk to you about the fact you take the Bible literally, you can go and have lunch with that person and say, yeah, hey, here's what I do with the text. This is what it's about. And this is the old covenant and the new covenant, right? And you can start to walk them through it and maybe they'll get it. Maybe they won't. But, but you can say, I'm not picking and choosing. I'm not just taking the things that are helpful to me. Like I submit my whole life to this book because I believe that I can find freedom there because God has revealed a worldview for me that is a worldview that when we walk in it, the world changes in a positive way and I change in a positive way too. That's how we can approach scripture. Everything hinges on interpretation, so imagine you have that conversation with someone. You're sitting there at lunch and you tell them all this. And you say, so now I know how to live by the Bible. They're going to ask you one question. Do you? How's it working for you? Do you not lie anymore? Now you know what God wants for you. Do you do it? Or are you still just saying that you know all the right answers, but you're not doing it, right? And you can say, no, 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 hold on. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I'm amazing. I'm not saying I'm great. I, I mess up all the time. I'm not perfect, but at least I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And the hard thing is Jesus brings up that same issue here in Matthew 5. Where he talks about the Bible being the rule of faith for believers all throughout time. He ends by saying, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Bible does a really good job of showing us what God requires of us, and yet we don't do it very well. And so sometimes we think, okay, well, I'm just going to try my best and hope that it works out in the end, you know. But Jesus is pretty clear that it's not enough to try our best. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's like, uh-oh. Now, the religious leaders of those times did a really good job of trying to obey all of the Bible. Like they made rules on rules on rules to say, listen, I'm not breaking the rules of the Bible. I want to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to mess this thing up. I'm going to walk with the Lord forever. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, you guys are trying real hard to live by the rules, but you're failing, right? And if God said that to you, you'd be like, you're right. Now the principle we need to see is it's not enough to interpret it correctly. We also need to live by these things. That's harder. And if our entrance into the kingdom of heaven depends on us being perfect by a perfect interpretation of Scripture, we're not going to make it. Jesus was the only one who fulfilled the Old Testament. 
Jesus was the only one who lived a perfect life. All of us, all of us, all of us have gone astray every day, right? The Apostle Paul talks about this when he's talking in his writings. He says, listen, I tried my best to follow the law perfectly. I didn't murder anybody, right? I didn't, I didn't commit adultery, all those things. I didn't do any of that stuff. I was like textbook perfect, but I could never get past one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Because no one knew that I was coveting, but all the time I'm just looking around like, oh man, I want one of those chariots. I don't know if they had chariots in the first century. That's kind of weird. <laughs> oh, oh man, my neighbor's house is awesome, right? And it, so he could look religious, but Paul says that deep in my heart I knew I knew that I was a sinner too. By the end of his writings, the Apostle Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. Yet Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. A lot of the New Testament writings kind of flesh out this theme. Because what was happening was people were starting to follow Jesus and they were Jewish people following Jesus and trying to abide by the law at the same time. And then Gentiles, non-Jewish people were coming in and getting saved and they were coming to them and saying, okay, now that you're a Christian, you need to learn how to live by the law because you need to find righteousness through the law. And the apostle Paul comes and says, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. I, I know that the gospel says that we're saved from our sins, but it says we're saved from our sins. You don't have to obey the law. Like, we don't have to obey the law? No, you don't have to obey the law. The law is good, but you don't have to obey it. It's about Jesus. He forgives you of your sins. And he starts arguing with people through his letters and saying, you need to understand something very, very important about the law of God. And you can write this down. The law does not provide righteousness. It only describes righteousness. you want to see what this feels like when you're at Safeway or wherever this afternoon, pick up an Us Weekly and start thumbing through it. Right? Or pick up a Men's Health magazine. I don't know what, I actually haven't read these magazines. I'm not recommending whatever these magazines are. Pick up a magazine, a People magazine, and start thumbing through it. And you're going to see what our culture says beautiful looks like. And, and I bet, you know, and if you're not into magazines, go to the mall and start trying on clothes, right? Walk past, look at what all the 25-year-olds are wearing, right? And look at the, look at the, clothes, try some on, and then put your old clothes back on again, right? When you go to the mall or when you look at these magazines, you're going to learn one thing. I am an ugly person, right? <laughs> Every time I go to the mall, it's like I need to spend $5,000 or I'm going to feel ugly for a week, right? That's how I feel. You see these magazines, you're looking through them, you're like, oh, I am so fat. I weigh like 60 pounds, but I must be so fat, right? And you look at these things, you say, oh no, compared to these standards of beauty that our culture puts out, I'm so ugly. And you can read as many magazines as you want. You're going to feel uglier and uglier and uglier because Us Weekly, because People Magazine, because the mall does not provide beauty. It only describes it for you. And when you stand in front of something that says, this is what perfection is supposed to look like, Photoshop enhanced perfection is supposed to look like, it doesn't make you more beautiful, it just makes you feel ugly. And that's what Paul says when he's talking about the law in the, the role of the law in believers' lives. In Galatians 3.21, he asks this question. He says, is the law therefore opposed? I should find it before I read it. Let me put it on the screen there. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by that law. That if there was a law that could make us righteous, we would have been righteous. 
But the law is not opposed to the gospel because the law was never designed to make you righteous. In Romans 3.21, Paul shares a similar sentiment. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He says the law is something that all throughout the Old Testament was saying, this isn't going to make you holy. It's just going to tell you what holiness looks like. This isn't going to make you holy. It's just going to tell you what holiness looks like. One is coming who will make you holy. This isn't going to make you holy. It's going to show you what holiness looks like. And yet people thought, oh no, I'm not holy. I should be holy. I feel bad I'm not holy. And Paul says, listen, listen, listen. We are all sinners We've all fallen short of the glory of God, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were born in this country or that country, whether you've done these many good things or this many bad things. We're all sinners. But you know what? We are not saved by not being sinners. We're saved by Jesus. That one has come who has fulfilled the law, and instead of having righteousness walking into heaven, he died for the sins of those who did not fulfill the law. And so Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice went into the grave three days later, rose from the grave and ushered in life and forgiveness and beauty to all who believe. And so the law showed us that we were sinners. And Paul says in Galatians, the law was put in charge, kind of like a tutor or something, kind of like a nanny. The law was put in charge to bring us to Jesus and say, oh, I knew I needed you because I read the law. And when we meet Jesus, he forgives of our sins. He makes us righteous. Not like we don't do bad things anymore, but he declares us righteous and starts growing in us the image of God. And Jesus is the one who makes us righteous. The law just shows us what righteousness looks like. So if you want to do something with this, you can fill out this last blank. Let the scriptures provide the worldview and let Christ provide the righteousness. That's the one-two punch of the Christian faith. And if you want to study the Bible because you want to be a good person, that's cool, but you're still going to be a pretty bad person a lot of times. But if you go to the scriptures and say, God, will you show me how you designed the world? Will you show me what life is supposed to look like? Will you show me what you have for me? Will you show me what I need to do in this world? What can bring me freedom in this world? Uh, There's a lot of things that my heart wants to do, and I think some of them are pretty bad, God. Can you show me through your scriptures which of these impulses of my heart I should follow and which I should run away from, God? Please show me, and I will trust you that if I do the things you've called me to do, I will find life, and I will find fulfillment, and I will find goodness there, and you will start using me to change the world as I cling to your word. But... I thank you that Jesus died for my sins. I thank you that while I was still a sinner, he died for me. I thank you that my righteousness in your eyes is not dependent on how well I make this work in my life, but my righteousness before you was designed by Jesus who gave me his righteousness. Thank you that you give me the scriptures that I know how you want us to live and think and work in this world, but thank you more than that that you gave me Jesus that I actually can live and can be forgiven and can have the righteousness that I can't earn by following the Bible. And if you want to sit down with someone and talk to them about the Bible, talk about that. And say, you know what? I do my best to live by the rule of faith laying out in the scriptures, but you know what? There's a lot of ways to interpret scripture. There's like a billion denominations of Christians that all look at different nuanced things differently and we're all trying our best to live by the word. But you know what's the same between all of us? We all know that we can't do it. 
And we all know that Jesus died for our sins and rose to new life. And if we cling to him, no matter how much bad stuff we do, we are good with God because Jesus paid the price. And I look at the scriptures to find how I might live my life, but I look to Jesus for the life that I live because he's the one who forgives me. He's the one who gives me righteousness. He's the one who gives me freedom. He's the one who has showed me that I can seek these things in freedom and not be in bondage to trying to fulfill the law anymore because he has fulfilled the law. We as a church, we as a community, we as a big C church among the nations are a church that we look at the scriptures for our worldview But we look at our Savior for life. We look at him for righteousness. We look at him for forgiveness. And maybe you've been here for a couple weeks and you've been trying to get your life together and trying to get your act together, you know, so that you can stand before God and not be ashamed. Listen, that's an awesome idea. But you know what? The best way to approach the throne of God is not by doing good things. It's it's through Jesus. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to be a better person. And you know what? You're always going to be kind of a bad person. But if this morning you say, you know what, no, I need Jesus. I don't need to be a better person. You'll find him. And when you find him, he'll forgive your sins. And when you find him, he'll give you righteousness. And when you find him, he'll clean you off. And when you find him, you'll have a fresh look at the scriptures and you'll be able to read them with freedom, not with pressure, because you know that you're forgiven. You're just seeking after life by walking in the ways that Jesus prescribed. So this morning, if you're new to all this, listen to nothing except for this last one. Let the scriptures provide the worldview and let Jesus provide your righteousness. Let's spend a minute as we close our our time in the word this morning and pray. Let's pray for those who don't know Christ. Let's pray for those conversations we might have with folks. And let's pray for our relationship with the word of God. Let's pray.